Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment." Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, What is it, teacher? A certain creditor had two debtors, One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he forgave them both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose to whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. The mercy of Christ gives us eternal life, not only for after death, but especially for here and now. Jesus has given us life to live as new creations every day. We can build a better world through Christ's saving grace. It was 10 years ago in 2012 that we started with a new idea of an annual theme. Uh, And that first year, the theme was the year of gratitude. 
The idea was to express gratitude every day of that year. And it came from reading the book, 365 Thank Yous, How a Year of Simple Daily Gratitude Changed My Life by John Kralik. You may remember the story of John Kralik. He was at a very difficult time of his life, probably the lowest point of his life. And he kept seeming to sink lower and lower. And so he made a drastic change and he decided to change his focus from everything that seemed to be going wrong or everything he didn't have into an attitude of gratitude where he was giving thanks for what he did have. And he would celebrate it and he began writing a thank you note every day. Now, we followed suit and we had thank you notes for everyone and we encouraged people to write a thank you note to someone every day. It started out pretty easy. You could look around your own circle of family and friends and, and for a while you had enough names that you could kind of cover it for quite a while and, and then it got a little bit more difficult. And you had to kind of really look beyond that and who has had influence in your life? And I, I remember having a chance to really think, who is it that's really been a formative element for me? And one of the names that came immediately to mind was the name of my high school band director. This was uh, someone who showed me a lot of grace. Now, to be honest, all of my teachers showed me a lot of grace. I suspect that all of our teachers showed us grace. But he really stood out because he was the first one I encountered when I moved from Ohio here to Oklahoma. I didn't know anyone. And he created a place for me where I belonged. And it was helpful for me in living a new life here. It started off even before the school year began uh, because he held marching band camp. And so that was the first thing I attended. And he created an environment where everyone was welcome and everybody kind of had their place in this band family, including me. It was my family for the rest of high school and I was so grateful for it. I know that I tried his patience. I asked him tons of questions. I never memorized my marching band music as soon as I should have. And there were times that I wanted him to change the marching band routines for something that I had created on the fly. He was so patient with my impertinence and with everyone else's. Now, he maintained a, a classroom of discipline, but one that was accepting and loving and where we could all grow. And I found my home there for the rest of high school. And, and when I graduated, I left and I never offered a word of thanks until the year of gratitude. Now I have to tell you that once I wrote all my thoughts down and thanked him and, and shared what he meant, once I mailed that note, a curious thing happened. I felt lighter. It was almost that as if I had carried around this burden of, of guilt that I had never said thank you to him for how much he had meant in my life. And, and now I was released from that. That's what the grace of Christ does for us. 
that when we make things right, we are living a, a new life, freer and fuller in him. This morning, I want to continue in our sermon series for Lent, Saving Grace. And every Sunday leading up to Easter, we're looking at how the saving grace of Christ changes our life. Now, certainly, we know what salvation does for us throughout eternity. Salvation is what offers us that eternal life someday. But the grace of Christ isn't just for when we die, it's for here and now. I mean, honestly, once we are living in eternity in the presence of Christ, how much salvation will we need at that point? We'll be living there. We'll be experiencing it. We need to remember that salvation is for us here and now to change our lives so that we live as new creations, not just after death, but now so that we can experience life to the fullest. This scripture passage this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, and it's an account where Jesus was invited to the house of a Pharisee uh, by the Pharisee, Simon, invited for a meal. And in those days, the meal would have been served in this courtyard, which would have been kind of like an open patio, no fencing. So anybody that was passing by could have seen the meal and what was going on. It wasn't like a private family dinner. It was open. And the guests would have been gathered around this mat where the food was served. And they would have been propped up on pillows uh, so that they could reach the food and their feet would have been angled away from the mat. And that made it easy for this woman to kind of slip in and stand behind the feet of Jesus. And while she was standing there, she was overcome with this emotion. And she started to weep and her tears hit his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And she took this alabaster jar of ointment that she had brought with her and she anointed his feet. Now we're told that the host of the meal, Simon the Pharisee, was rather indignant at that. He was irritated because this woman, as he judged her, was a sinner. And then he began to judge Jesus. And he said, obviously this man is not a prophet because he doesn't know who this woman is. If he did, he wouldn't let her touch his feet. Jesus understands the thoughts of Simon. <coughs> Excuse me. And he knows who the woman is, and Jesus knows who Simon is, proving that he is a prophet. And then by offering grace to both of them, he's more than a prophet. But Jesus poses a riddle. Now, in those days, it was custom for the guests and the host to exchange riddles or questions back and forth during the meal as kind of the conversation. And so Jesus, knowing what Simon was thinking, asked him the riddle about a certain money lender who loaned money to two individuals who were not able to repay it. And so he forgave both of their debts. One, he forgave their debt of 500 denarii, and the other was forgiven a debt of 50 denarii. And Jesus asked Simon, so which of the two people loved the moneylender more? And Simon said, well, I guess the one who was forgiven the greater debt. And Jesus said that he had judged correctly. 
What Simon missed in that riddle is what we sometimes miss. He was focused on the amount of sin of the woman. Jesus was focused on the amount of love that she was showing. She was showing love like someone who had been forgiven a great amount. And Simon didn't realize that he wasn't showing any kind of love or gratitude at all. He was caught up in his own hard-heartedness and judgment, and it prevented him from living this life of grace that Jesus was freely offering. So there are three things that I want to discuss this morning that can help us embrace the, uh, the grace that Christ brings for all of us, to accept that in our lives and to offer back gratitude and joy so that that can continue on and on. First, forgiveness brings new life to us. Haven't you ever felt an experience where someone has forgiven you and you just felt lighter by it? That's what this woman experienced. She had experienced at some point the grace of Christ. And so, <coughs> excuse me, she was coming to this meal not in a sense of guilt, but in a sense of gratitude. Once she heard that Jesus was going to be at that meal, she wanted to come and show her love to him for what he had already done for her. Now, she wasn't coming because she had been invited. She hadn't been invited to the meal, and she knew that she wasn't going to be welcomed. She knew that she risked a great deal of humiliation by showing up, and yet there was something about her that gave her courage that she wanted to show her love and gratitude, and that overrode any kind of sense of worry about how she might be treated. And that courage came from the fact that she knew what Jesus knew about her, that she had received this new life in him, and that gave her what she needed. And so she stood behind his feet and, and expressed her love because she truly had accepted that grace and understood what forgiveness meant in her life. I read an article not too long ago about someone who recognized that for his own life. It was an individual by the name of Larry Israelson, and he had received a call from his brother-in-law who asked him to go out that evening uh, to have a conversation. Now, that was unlike his brother-in-law. They had never had that kind of talk before, and and so they went out that evening, and they were kind of chit-chatting, and Larry was wondering what it was all about. But finally, his brother-in-law kind of sighed, and, and then he asked Larry for his forgiveness. And his brother-in-law explained that he had never wanted Larry, who is Anglo, to be a part of his family, which was all Mexican-American. And this brother-in-law loved his sister Connie very much, and he had tried everything in his power to break her up from Larry when they were dating. And then when they got engaged, he tried everything to kind of bring an end to the marriage and, and tried to convince his parents to end it, and it obviously didn't work. And all these many years later, they had been married happily for over 10 years and now had two beautiful daughters who were this man's, who were these 
this man's nieces who he loved. And so he confessed how wrong he had been to judge Larry that way, and he recognized that God had brought their family together, and he just wanted to say how sorry he was to have ever thought that. Well, that brought a healing that Larry didn't even know was needed in their relationship, and Larry could see how much freer his brother-in-law felt, and so it encouraged him to address something that he had been carrying around all of his adult life. It started when he was in seventh grade, and Larry, by his own words, was the smallest and scrawniest boy in his class. Now, later on, he would go through a growth spurt that would take him to six foot five and become very athletic. But in seventh grade, that wasn't the case. And he was someone who was small and uncoordinated, and he really didn't care for sports because he wasn't that good at that moment. And all he really enjoyed was school. Well, that didn't win him a lot of friends. He was the butt of a lot of jokes, and a lot of his classmates teased him. They also teased his favorite teacher who taught his English class. It was Mr. Atterbury, and Larry loved that class. Mr. Atterbury was an incredible teacher, and he would often put kind of encouraging words at the top of his students' papers, you're going to go far. You have a great command of the English language. And Larry hung on to those words. They meant so much to him. He loved that class, and he did so well in it. But some of the boys around him in his class began teasing about Mr. Atterbury. This was 40 years ago, and they started to make jokes about him maybe being gay. And 40 years ago, at that school district, if a teacher was gay, they were fired, or they found that their contract wasn't renewed if it was discovered that that was what was going on. And so Mr. Atterbury was teased kind of behind the scenes. And when the boys in Larry's class were teasing Mr. Atterbury, teasing about him, and they saw how much Larry was doing well in all of his classes, but especially in that one, they started pairing it all together. And they were ruthless. And they had terrible taunts against Larry and at one point, they challenged him to a fight, which he lost. They started picking on him after school, beating him up and taking his money. And after a while, Larry just couldn't take it any longer. He was a scared 12-year-old, bullied and beaten. And so he went to the principal's office, and he asked for a transfer to another English class. He was given the slip, and... He went back to Mr. Atterbury's class and he handed the slip to Mr. Atterbury without a word of explanation. He picked up his things and he walked out and never said a word about why he was doing it. And more than 40 years after that had happened, he still felt such guilt about that moment. Now, he had seen what had happened in his brother-in-law's life, the courage he had shown, and so he mustered up that same courage and he tracked down the address of his teacher and he wrote out this letter asking for forgiveness and explaining what had happened. A couple weeks later, he gets a call 
And the man on the other end of the line said, this is your teacher. Well, Mr. Atterbury and Larry got together and they started reminiscing and there was so much grace there. Mr. Atterbury was glad to finally understand what had happened when one of his best students had simply walked out of class, never to return. And Larry was so glad to really express not only his sadness at what he had done, but truly how much Mr. Atterbury had meant in his life. Well, the two men shared their story with a local reporter who published it in the local newsletter, and it was an article entitled The Apology. And in the weeks that followed, dozens and dozens of Mr. Atterbury's former students reached out to contact him and tell him what a difference he had made in their life. And so here, Larry and Mr. Atterbury, through the grace of forgiveness, were set free by something painful in the past. They were also brought closer together, and they both had an understanding of the other's position. Mr. Atterbury could understand what Larry had gone through because he himself had been beaten up and bullied as a young boy just for being different. But now, in looking back and hearing from so many former students, he had this incredible grace in that moment to realize that God had been with him and had used him to make a difference in the lives of so many students. Who is it that you need to reconcile with? Who is it that you might need to ask forgiveness from or offer it to? Remembering that that forgiveness frees us and brings new life to us. Second, gratitude is our response to the grace of Christ. Jesus asked Simon the Pharisee, which of the two whose debt was forgiven showed uh, or had more love for him? And Simon said, well, the one whose debt uh, was greater loved more. Simon probably identified with the moneylender. He was used to judging others. And what Simon got wrong in that riddle is what we tend to get wrong in uh, these kind of situations, in that Simon was only focused on the sin of the woman. Jesus was focused on how much love she was showing. Now, traditionally, if you were a guest in someone's house, especially in that time frame, hospitality was the key element. It was a joy of that society. If you had a guest come into your home, you offered them a a dish of water for their feet because walking everywhere with dirt roads and open-toed Jesus sandals uh, took their toll. And so you would offer them this pan of water to kind of refresh their feet, and Simon had done no such thing. That was the basic level of hospitality, and he couldn't muster that. The only hospitality was shown by the woman who stood behind Jesus, and she was so full of love that she shed tears of joy that fell upon his feet, and then she anointed them with this this expensive ointment that she had brought with her. It was also customary that when you received a guest into your home that you would kiss them on the cheek as a sign of the joy and gratitude it was to welcome them into your home. It was an honor, and you were, you were sharing that 
you were honored by their presence and you would kiss them on the cheek and none of that had happened to Jesus through Simon. Simon didn't seem to have any kind of joy or gratitude in his life. It was the woman who was living out the greatest hospitality to Jesus and she was never invited to the dinner in the first place. There are two things that can really get in our way of experiencing joy and expressing gratitude for the grace we have in Christ, and that is guilt and prejudice. Guilt causes us to focus on ourselves, on how bad we've been or whether or not we've been forgiven, and the more we focus on ourselves, what good are we to others? We are forgetting that That forgiveness has already been offered to us, and all we have to do is claim that we are a new creation in Christ. Prejudice is when we are so focused on others, their differences, uh, our idea that they are more sinful than we are, because we can't bear to focus on our own need for grace. The more we let our hearts be hardened, the further we get from experiencing that life of joy and grace that Christ wants for us. The reality is all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are in need of the grace of Christ. And all of us can be new creations in him through his love. Our response should be gratitude. Last year, I shared with you a special book that I had read called From Scratch, A Memoir of Love, Sicily, and Finding Home. It was written by Timby Locke. She's an actress, and she wrote this book telling the story of how she had met her husband, Sorrow. She had met him when she was in college on an exchange study abroad program uh, going to Florence, and she met him. He was a chef in Italy, and they pretty much fell in love right from the beginning. Now, they started dating, but uh, Sorrow, short for Rosario, Sorrow told her that it wasn't going to work for them because his parents would never accept her because she wasn't Italian. She was African-American, and He said, you have to understand, I've dated women from Italy before, and they were rejected because they weren't from Sicily. My parents will only accept a woman from this area of this country. And so he knew that they would never accept her, and yet they loved each other dearly, and so they got married in secret, and he followed Timbe back to the States, and she finished her schooling and continued in her acting pursuits. Saro tried to come up with a way to tell his parents that the woman they had rejected was now his wife, and he couldn't seem to come up with a good way. And so for two years, he wrestled with it, and he came up with a plan that he would have a second wedding back in Sicily. Now, to his parents, it would be the first wedding, because they didn't know, but He presented this wedding in Sicily, and they sent out the invitations, hoping that their hearts would be softened, and they received the RSVP pack from his parents, which said, we have no son. 
So they went to Sicily, they had their wedding, and his parents did not attend. A couple years later was still this painful rejection, and so they went back one last time to try to come up with some sort of reconciliation, and they were there for two weeks hoping his parents would come and, and meet with them, and day after day they never showed up. And finally on the last day, his parents, Nona and Giuseppe, showed up. It turned out that Nona, his mom, overrode the decision of her husband because he was not going to, you know, overcome his pride to see his son who had married without him there. And, and Nona said, I am not going to let my son return home without me seeing him and you're taking me. So they were able to reconcile and begin building this relationship anew. And because Nona and Giuseppe really did love their son Sorrow, they started to come to love Tenby as well. Well, a couple years after that, Sorrow noticed that there was a growth behind his knee and he went to the doctor and he was told that it was a rare form of soft tissue cancer. And he would have to go through all of these very expensive, painful treatments, and he decided again not to tell his parents until the end of the treatments because he knew how much they would worry. And so he got through all of the treatments and he was in remission, but it had really taken a toll on his body. He called his parents and of course they were worried, they were glad that he was in remission, but they had to see him. And so they announced they were coming to visit for a month-long visit. Tembe was about at her wit's end because they'd come through all of this medical treatment and she had bills piling up and here were Nona and Giuseppe together with them in their very tiny house and, and they didn't speak any English and she had to drive them everywhere they wanted to go and they always wanted to be driven somewhere and and finally, it was just too much, and she announced that she was going to go and visit her family in Houston. And what Nona and Giuseppe heard is that they were all going to visit her family in Houston. And so Sorrow and Timby and Nona and Giuseppe all went to visit her family. And Timby's family welcomed them all in, and they had these huge family dinners. And Nona could see how much Timby's family loved her son Sorrow. And they laughed and they joked and it started kind of flooding back just this sense of guilt how she had lost years with her son and Timby. But also this sense of grace that God was with her son and, and surrounded him with this incredible family and, and she began to weep at the table and they asked her, what's wrong? And she said, nothing. She said, I am so grateful for all the love that my son has in his life. She had this overwhelming sense of gratitude in the presence of the grace of Christ. Well, Sorrow and Timby started a family and they weren't able to have a child of their own. And so they adopted a baby girl named Zoella. And Zoella became the light of their lives and and the lives of their parents, and Zoella was much loved by all the grandparents. And as she grew, it was discovered that Sorrow's cancer returned. And he began to go through all the treatments once more, but by the time she was seven, he had exhausted all of them, and 
his body gave out and he passed away from cancer and she was just seven years old. His father Giuseppe had passed away just the year before and sorrow made Timby promise that she would bury his remains next to his father in Sicily. And so Timby prepared for a month-long visit to Sicily with her mother-in-law. And there she met her mother-in-law and now both women were widows. And this woman who had caused her such pain at the beginning of her marriage now brought her comfort at its end. And one day, Nona asked her to sit down, and she explained to Timby that the house and the land now belonged to her. And Timby didn't quite understand, and, and so Nim Nona explained that this house and all of our ancestry land was going to be inherited by sorrow, but now it goes to you and eventually uh, your daughter, Zoella, because you are family. Grace of Christ helps fill us with such joy and love that we respond in gratitude and matters of race and nationality and adoption or birthright. They are all kind of laid by the wayside because we know that we are one in Christ. Who is it that you need to reach out to and, and give thanks for? Maybe a simple little note to let them know what they've meant to you in your life. And third, grace gives way to even more grace. We saw that in this story. This woman goes to thank Jesus for what he's done for her, and she intends to bless him, but what happens? She is blessed in return. He, her forgiveness is affirmed, not just for her sake, but probably for the sake of everyone at the table. But she is um, affirmed in front of everyone and, and recognized by Christ, and she is blessed, even though she went to be the blessing. Haven't you ever experienced that? Maybe you've been part of a mission trip that you wanted to go and bless the lives of others to give back for what God has done in your life, and in the end, you were the one who felt blessed. That's this cycle of life that God wants for us. There's a certain rhythm in life where we claim the grace that Christ offers for us, and then we live in such a way as to always be expressing this joy and gratitude so that it blesses the lives of others, and we end up receiving grace in return. And so grace is given and received and on and on. This last fall, I received a letter. It was from the wife of my high school band director. And she was writing to let me know that he had recently passed away. She shared that he was a man who was overly sentimental or um, he didn't make too much of what students would say about him, but he had kept a small box of important things in his wardrobe and in it, he kept his wedding ring and some pictures of kids and grandkids and the letter that I'd sent to him. In the note she wrote to me, she said she couldn't bear to part with that thank you note, but she included a copy of it to remind me of what I said. And I read it, and to be perfectly honest, there was nothing profound about it. 
It wasn't very eloquent. It was just authentic words of gratitude for the grace that he had shown me and what a difference he had made in my life. To realize that my very simple words had brought blessing to him and to her, brought incredible joy back to me. That's the life that Christ wants for us. That we're so caught up in the love that we've received from his grace that we are pouring out gratitude and love toward others that blesses their lives and, and yet we're blessed in return. Christ doesn't want us held down by guilt. He offers his grace freely to all. Christ doesn't want us held back by hardened hearts. We're to realize that all have fallen short of God's glory and all are welcome at his table. And so where are you at in this cycle? Is there anything holding you back from fully experiencing the grace of Christ? Are you living in gratitude and joy? Claim that gift of grace for your life and share that grace with others because that is the life that Christ designs for you. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.